I'm going to ask you to do something, okay? And it's, I'm going to ask you to do something that, that isn't going to be 100% clear, but I promise you it will become clear as we go. I have a few cards here, and they're all very generic thank you cards. And this is what I'd like for us to do. I'm going to give out these cards, and I'd like for us to just open up the card and for you to write inside the card just a quick general thank you. So you could just write, thank you, Denise. I appreciate what you're doing. Sylvia, just something very short and very generic. I'm going to pass out six of these cards, and this is what I'd like for us to do. The first card, the first card, I'm going to start here, okay, Sylvia, and you say, you write down a little note and then pass it down, and if you don't feel like writing a note, that's okay, but the card's going to go through, and, and Lester, by the time it gets to you, you hold the card, okay? So you can start now, Sylvia, whenever you're ready. And by the time it gets to you, Lester, you hold that card. And Denise, I'm going to give you a card. And Denise, you fill out that card, and it's going to come down. And Jim, by the time it gets to you, you hang on to that card. Does that sound good? All right. I'm going to start another one here, and it's going to snake through. And by the time Oboma gets to you, you hold on to that card, okay? I'm going to start another one here. And Alex, you're my guy. You hang on to that card, all right? And this card, this is for all the people in the back here, all right? This is your card. And then, Bill, I got one card for our friends who enjoy the extra warmth that's available in the balcony. So if that card, Bill, can go to the balcony, you balcony people up there, uh, you can fill out that card. So just, the cards are not big, so don't write, we don't need a, a book here. We just need, like, thank you, Nigel, or, or appreciate what you're doing, okay? Jimmy, whatever you want to write. But short and brief, and I promise you, it will become clear. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever watched someone who's willing to give up a short-term loss for a long-term gain? Have you ever seen someone do that? Someone who's willing to give up a short-term loss in order to win in the long run. That's a difficult thing to do. We've definitely seen it the other way. We've watched people gain short-term victories to end up losing in the long run. See the 2016 Cleveland Indians. It really looked like they might have won. Some short-term victories, but lose in the long run. Maybe Enron comes to mind. People that win big in the short term, but ultimately lose. We've seen that happen, but have you ever watched someone very wisely and skillfully be willing to give up something in the short term so that they can win something in the long run. I feel like people who are good at games of strategy, whether those are games that exist on PlayStation and Xbox and the world of the internet, or those are games like chess, someone who's really good at a game of strategy understands this principle. I know when I play someone who really knows what they're doing in the game of chess, all I really know is that I'm a color, I know the way my pieces move, and I know what each piece is called. That's where my knowledge of chess stops. I know no strategy. I know how a pawn moves, I know how a bishop moves, I know how a rook moves, I know how a knight moves, and I know I'm trying to trap their king into checkmate, but I have no strategy beyond that. And if I play somebody who really knows what they're doing in the game of chess, usually they'll allow me to have a few small victories. And I'll feel like to myself, hey, I got a piece. I got another piece. 
I think I'm doing pretty well. All the while they know that they're just luring me into a trap and pretty soon they're going to be able to call out checkmate. That's how it works. And people are willing to do this. Some people are willing to do it in business. Other people are willing to do it uh, um, in in games and in strategy. They're willing to give up the short-term loss in order to gain a much more important long-term win. At the beginning of this group of verses that James and Sarah just read for us, Paul says something that I think all of us can agree with. Paul says this, let your love be genuine. Hold fast to what is good and abhor what is evil. Let your love be genuine. Let it be genuine. Let it be real. And I think all of us would agree with that. We don't like love and relationship that's fake, right? We don't like people who are passive aggressive. We don't like people who smile and shake our hands, but we know what they say about us behind our back, and we know what they're thinking in the back of their head. We don't like it when love is fake. We want love to be genuine. So Paul comes out, and he says this phrase wide away, let love be genuine. Hold on to what is good and abhor what is evil. And I think as we listen to all of what Paul is saying in these verses... There is a principle that Paul is trying to teach us when it comes to what genuine love looks like. And I want us to talk about that for a few minutes today. I think what Paul is trying to tell us in these verses is that genuine love, genuine love is the kind of love that's willing to endure short-term losses for long-term wins. That genuine love, the kind of love that God would want us to show, the kind of love that we should be displaying as people who follow Jesus Christ, that that kind of love is the kind of love that is willing to endure a short-term loss in order to gain a long-term win. And what Paul says to us in these verses is he says two things to us. He said that this is true in two different realms of our lives, and the first realm is something that I think is pretty easy for us all to agree with. It's the second one that gives us a lot of trouble. The first realm realm that Paul tells us that we should demonstrate this kind of love is he says, genuine love is the kind of love that is willing to endure short-term losses in order to gain a long-term win. He says, display this kind of love with your friends. Show one another brotherly affection, he says. Show one another what it looks like to love one another. And this is the phrase that he uses that really sums it up to me. He says, with your friends, with your brothers and sisters in Christ, in church, with the people that you like, outdo one another in showing honor. Outdo one another in showing honor. Now, if I'm going to outdo someone else in showing honor, if I'm going to show someone else that I like, someone who is my friend, if I'm going to outdo them in showing honor, that means that in the moment, I have to be willing to lose something or give up something in order to do that. If I'm the kind of person that's going to outdo someone else in showing honor, then I also have to be the kind of person that's willing to give up of my time and willing to give up of my resources, willing to make an emotional investment, willing to do something so that I am honoring the other person. 
But I do that, I do that because I believe that in my friendships, in my close relationships, there's going to be a much greater long-term reward. Any successful relationship works this way, and we see this, don't we? We see it with our best friends. We see it with the people we're closest to. Great marriages work this way. Great family relationships work this way. Great business partnerships work this way. For those of you that have a friend that's very close, for those of us that have a friend that's very close that you can think of at the top, off the top of your mind, you know what this is like. You never have to worry about that person saying something behind your back. You never have to worry about that person dishonoring you. On the contrary, what you experience with that person is you uphold that person and they uphold you. You encourage that person when they need encouragement, and in turn, they encourage you back. When you see that person do something great from afar, you broadcast it to everybody you know, that that person does a great job, and they're doing a very good job. And when they see you do it, they do the same back to you. And every single one of those pieces, whether that's in a marriage or in a good friendship, in a healthy business relationship, in healthy relationships within the, in the church, Every time you go to show honor to somebody, you have to be willing to take a brief short-term loss because they're the center of attention, because they're the focus of what's going on, because their name is made great, they're the one that's encouraged, they're the one that's lifted up, and yours is, uh, and you're the one person in the background. But the great long-term result is we have this great life-giving marriage or family or friendship because we're willing to show this kind of affection to one another, because we're willing to lay down our own rights sometimes and honor the other person, and because they're willing to do the same for us. And Paul says to us, listen, just like in, in a great game of strategy or just like uh, a great marathon runner who's willing to lose the first 25 miles so that they have the strength to win mile 26, so in your relationships, this is what genuine love looks like. Sometimes, for the sake of the bigger relationship, you take a little short-term loss. And you say to your spouse, I'll take on that responsibility so that you can go and enjoy yourself. Or I'll do the extra work tonight so that you can go and do what it is that you want to do. Whatever that looks like in our relationship. Or you say to a friend, you say to a friend, let me help you with that. Let me encourage you in that for the sake of the larger relationship. And Paul says this is what genuine love looks like. Genuine love is the ability to be willing to take a short-term loss in order to experience a long-term win. And he says we're to do it with our friends. Now, how are we doing with the cards? How are we doing with the cards? Because I want us to practice very real this morning, showing honor to some people who right now are honoring us in this room. So if you have the card, and it's at the end of the row, Jim, I see you have yours, inside that envelope, there's a little gift card. Could you put the gift card inside the, the thank you card and slide both of those into the envelope? Does everybody have them? I see Lester has one, Jim has one, Aboma, you got yours, Alex in the back, we've got it, and up in the balcony, we all have a chance? All right. This is what I'd like for us to do. Bill Sullivan, our head usher, he's going to collect those cards. And I'm going to ask 
There's a group of people that are honoring us right now. And they are the group of people who are watching our babies in the nursery and watching the twos and three-year-olds downstairs and are, watch, and are teaching our elementary school kids about uh, the Lord. And maybe you don't have children in our kids' ministry right now, but just listen. Do you hear that? No. Right? Because they're helping us out and honoring us, okay, by helping with the children. Now, right now downstairs, they're not experiencing that. If I said, wait, they, there would be a lot of noise, right? But they're doing a great job, and they're loving those children so that we can have this opportunity in here. So I'm going to ask, is there someone who would be willing right now to go walk through the building? All right, Sarah and James, go walk through the building. They're, they don't know you're coming. So just walk into the classrooms downstairs and then the nursery back here, and whoever is working today, would you just give them the card and be like, hey, from those of us in the sanctuary who are able to worship and pay attention because you're investing in our children, we appreciate what you're doing. Would you give them those cards? Thank you very much. That's what it looks like, is that we show, outdo one another in showing honor. We try to find ways, and this is, this is very small. But then we try to find ways in our relationships with one another that we encourage each other and uphold each other in what we do. We all agree with that, right? 100% agree with that. Now then Paul turns the whole thing on his head, on its head. And he has to go and bring up something that we find extremely difficult. Deep down inside, I got to confess something to you, and maybe you're like me. I don't ever like to lose, even in the short term. And I don't know if you're like me, but I really don't, that isn't what I choose to do. Sometimes I can be convinced in situations with friends and family and other things, uh, you know, that, that I should do it, I should do it, so for the, for the better good, for the common good. But I got to tell you, I don't like to, in the short term, just in my own spirit, I don't like to feel like I'm losing, like someone has the upper hand, like someone's getting the best of me. Like, I have to stay quiet and let them get all the credit. Or I have to let people think that, that they did all the work when, when really I had something to do with it. Or I don't like it when, when I have to uh, give of, of time and energy and, and resources or whatever it is so that there will be a bigger win in the future. That's not easy for me. That's not natural for me. And my guess is, for most of us in the room, it's not the natural response. And sometimes with our friends and sometimes with our family and sometimes with our relatives, we can be convinced that for the common good, for the kingdom of God, for the church, we will lay down our own rights and we'll take the short-term loss so that we can have the bigger, greater when And so we say, Paul, we got it. We're with you. Genuine love looks like that with our friends. But then Paul comes out and says this to us in these verses. He says, genuine love is being willing to take a short-term loss in order to gain a long-term win, not only with our friends, but also with our enemies. And now we have a big problem with Paul, don't we? Because it takes everything I have inside of me to do this with the people I like and the people I get along with and the people I choose to spend my time with. It's a whole different story when you ask me to do this to the people I don't like and I don't get along with. And not just don't like and don't get along with. I mean the people who have wronged me. I think it's important that we recognize here that Paul's not talking about corporate enemies. 
He's not talking about enemies of the state. He's not talking about going to war. He's talking about individuals opposed to one another, hostile to one another. And there isn't a person in the room right now who doesn't have people in their lives who fit this category. We all have people in our lives that fit this category. They've wronged us in some way. Some of you have been bullied. Some of you have been abused in some way. Some of you have been taken advantage of. Some of us have been cheated. Some of us have been stolen from. Some of us have been lied to. Some of us have people in our lives that that just every time we see them, they just want to make sure that we know that we're less than they are. Some of us have neighbors that drive us crazy, that it seems like their goal is to make our lives miserable in whatever way that they can. And these people become people to whom we are alienated from and to whom we are hostile, just like we read about earlier. And those are the people that Paul's talking about in this section of these verses. And Paul says, genuine love is the kind of love that takes short-term losses for a long-term win, not just with your friends, but also with your enemies. And we say to Paul, hang on a second. We're not 100% sure we like doing this with the people that we like, but we're 100% sure that we don't like doing this with the people that we don't like. So, Paul, what is it that you're talking about? You see, because Paul is asking us to do some pretty difficult things. Take a look at what the things that Paul asks us to do in these verses. These are some of the things that Paul says we should do. He said we should bless those who persecute you. And he says we should weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. Do you have that slide, Bill? We should bless those who persecute you, rejoice with those who rejoice, and weep with those who weep. That second one, rejoicing with those who rejoice and weeping with those who weep, we don't even do that well with our friends, much less our enemies. Our friends come up to us and they say to us, listen, I got that brand new job. And you know how I used to make less money than you? Now I make more money than you. And in our heads, we say to ourselves, man, that's awesome. I'm so happy for you. And in our heads, we just are are frustrated by that. We're frustrated by that. And then they come back to us and they say, you know that new job? It didn't work out. And we say, oh, yes. (laughs) We're not even good at doing that with the people we like, much less the people we don't like. Bless those who persecute you, rejoice with those who weep, or rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep, repay no one evil for evil. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. Overcome evil with good. Those are difficult verses. They sound nice on the screen. But all of us have people in our lives who have wronged us and continue to wrong us. Or the wrong that they've done never leaves us. And it can be as simple as battles you get in with your neighbor over where you throw the snow or that the fence is six inches on their property. But it can also be very serious. And Paul would say to us, no matter how serious it is, do you know what you should do in that situation? You should bless those who persecute you. 
And don't repay them evil for evil. The way that they've hurt you, don't go to seek to do the same. And overcome evil for good. And we say to Paul, Paul, it doesn't make any sense. I'm not going to let other people look like they're winning. I'm not going to let other people look like they're getting advantage of me. I'm I'm not going to lay down my rights. I'm going to assert my rights in the moment. And so the question becomes, how in the world are we supposed to be able to do this? What is the rationale for being able to do this? And what in the world is the long-term win if we're willing to do this, if we're able to do this? Well, let me suggest to you briefly the reason why I believe that we can do what it is that Paul's asking us to do, that we can lay down our rights, that we can take short-term losses, that we can show kindness where people have shown us uh, anger, that we can love where people have hurt us, that we can give where people have taken. Let me just very briefly share with you why I believe we can still do this even though uh, it's difficult. And Paul, in order to understand where Paul's justification comes from, we have to go back to the beginning of the chapter, where if you were with us a couple of weeks ago, we talked about these verses, where Paul said, in view of God's mercies, he continues, that, that applies to the whole rest of the chapter. In view of God's mercy for you, this is how you should live. So this is why I think we can do this. There's three reasons why. And the reasons are these, what Jesus did, the way he did it, and what he's going to do. I believe this is what Paul tells us in these verses. The reason I can do this, the reason I can show love to my enemies, the reason I can encourage my enemies, the reason I can give grace to my enemies, even though it makes it look like I am losing in the moment, is because of what Jesus did for me and the way he did it and what he's going to do. The greatest act of love and mercy that ever happened on this earth was God sending his son to live a perfect life and die a death he did not deserve for you and for me. And he did it. Not when we had our act all cleaned up and not when we were looking nice and not when we knew how to live our lives. He did it, as we read earlier before communion, when we were alienated from God, when we were hostile to God, and when we were enemies of God. God gave his son for us in the middle of that. And if God is willing to do it for me, when I'm his enemy, then certainly I ought to be doing, willing to do it for somebody else. And the way he did it, if it's been a while since you've gone back and read the crucifixion story, I'd encourage you to do it. If you've never read it, I would really encourage you to do it. Jesus was on that cross. There were people next to him on other crosses And the Bible says that at least one of them, and maybe more, used the last breaths of their life to mock Jesus on the cross. So you can imagine, there they are also being executed, and they're next to Jesus on the cross. They have just a few breaths left. And when they decide to use those breaths to mock Jesus who's on the cross, he's the one guy that's up there that doesn't deserve to be there. He's the one person that has the power within himself to end this whole thing in a second. And here he has these people who are the criminals, who are the ones that deserve to be up there, spending the last few breaths that they have mocking him. And they're not the only ones doing it. You have the Roman guards who have, who have spent hours beating him and preparing him for this execution. And now they stand around the cross jeering and scoffing 
laughing and he can hear what they're saying. Uh, it's, it's quiet enough out there that he can hear what they're saying. They're saying he said he was the son of God. He could save others. Why doesn't he save himself? Jesus, prove that you're the son of God. Get yourself off that cross and let's see that you can really do what it is that you say that you can do. And what's Jesus' response? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. He's 100% human, 100% God, fully man and fully God. Every piece of, of the human side of him must wanted to say, you think I can't do this? You think I can't get off this cross? But it was a short-term loss, a big short-term loss. And he did it while being mocked, while being humiliated, while being ridiculed. For you and for me. And the Bible makes it clear that there's something that Jesus is going to do. That one day he's going to set everything right. That he's the ultimate judge. And so I may be in a situation where I'm being wronged and I have to show grace and mercy. And I can do that because I know that the winning doesn't happen on this earth. The winning happens when Christ returns and he's the one who judges the living and the dead. He's the one who creates the new heaven and the new earth. He's the one that sets everything right. And when I spend eternity with him, I have won no matter what happens to me on this earth. So because of what Jesus did and the way he did it and because of what he's going to do, I am then able to extend the love that Paul's talking about, not just to my friends, but also to my enemies. And so you say to me, are you saying I should just let myself be trampled all over? Are you saying I should go to the family reunion on Thanksgiving and just let them say whatever they want to me? I don't think Paul's saying that at all. In fact, sometimes the most loving thing that we can do with our enemies is keep our distance. It's different in every situation. But we need to check our hearts and make sure that the steps we are taking are out of love and grace, and mercy, and not, as Paul says, out of revenge and anger and trying to gain the short-term win. It's a difficult thing. And you know why it's so difficult? Because it will look to you and it will look to everyone around you like you're losing. It'll look to you and look to everyone around you like you're losing the battle. When you really put this in place with enemies, when you put this in place with the people that, that you don't get along with or the people that have harmed you or the people that are hostile to us, when we put this into place, it looks like to everybody else around us that we are losing the battle. And so it's not easy. But let me suggest to you this morning that what God is saying to us and what Paul is saying to us is if we're willing to take the short-term loss, there is a long-term win available to us. And I'm going to invite our, our worship team to come forward as we prepare to close this morning. And here's what I believe Paul says the long-term win is for us. It's threefold. And the first is this. If we're willing to live this way, we can avoid a lifetime of anger and bitterness and resentment and frustration that stuff will eat you alive. And we can go after all sorts of short-term wins. 
And we can win all those little battles. And we can show them. And we cannot get mad, we can get even. But a life of bitterness and a life of anger and a life of hurt is a long-term loss for us. And I think that in some ways God's protecting us and protecting our souls and saying, listen, show the grace and mercy that I showed you. First for yourself. That your my heart might be filled with compassion and be filled with love and not filled with bitterness and resentment and anger. That's the first long-term win. The second long-term win is this. It always leaves the door open for reconciliation and repentance. Doing things the way God calls us to do them always leaves the door open for reconciliation and repentance. Chris Hitchens is a, uh, is a real famous atheist, and he was in a debate once at King's College, and he said, you know what the dumbest Christian notion is? He said, the worst Christian notion is love your enemies. He said, let me tell you what I want to happen to my enemies. He's like, I want to destroy my enemies. And the person who was debating him said, oh no, God's into getting rid of enemies too. The difference is rather than you destroying your enemies, God offers you an opportunity to get rid of your enemies by making them friends. And I thought that was a great way to put it. That when we live like this, just like God left the door open to reconciliation and repentance for us with him, we leave that door open for other people. They may never walk through it, but at least we've let the door, left the door open. And the third piece is this. We ourselves get to experience true, genuine, unconditional love. It only comes from one place. And it comes from the God who loves you enough to send his son to die on the cross for your sins. And it comes when we who have followed him and trusted in him spend an eternity with him after this earth in heaven. And God opens up that opportunity to you to avoid that life of bitterness, to avoid that life of resentment, to leave the door open to reconciliation and repentance, and most importantly, to experience the genuine love that only comes from him. And if you're sitting in this room right now, you may be saying to yourself, listen, I've lived the life of bitterness. I've lived the life of resentment. I've lived the life of anger. And I know it's gotten me nowhere. My first call to you would be to take a moment and talk to God and tell God that you want to experience the love that comes through Jesus Christ for yourself. Because until you experience that kind of love for yourself, you can't demonstrate it to other people. The only reason we can demonstrate it is because of what Jesus has done, how he did it, and what he's going to do. And I can't show that love to someone else unless I've experienced it from God myself. And some of us can sit in church for years and never fully experience it. Some of you have come in for the very first time and you're saying to yourself, I want to experience that kind of love. The door is open to you. Thank you. Thanks to what God has done through Jesus Christ. And all you have to do to experience that love is to say to God, God, I know that I've sinned against you. I know that I have worked against you, but I'm asking you to forgive me and I'm turning my heart and my life over to you. And in that moment, you're forgiven. 
In that moment, you start to experience a love that just doesn't exist on this earth. A love that was willing to experience a great short-term loss for an eternal long-term gain. And once you and I experience it, we can go out and share it with our friends and our enemies. I'd invite you just to close your eyes and bow your head. Think with me for a moment. Maybe you are in this place and you want to experience that love today for the very first time. I'm going to invite you to take a few moments in your own heart and in your own mind to tell God that's where you are. To tell him you're sorry for what you've done. To tell him that you want him to take over control of your life. To tell him that you desire to experience that love that brings true significance, true meaning, and true purpose into life. For many of us in this room, I encourage you to think of who is it in your life? There may be many people, but who's the one person that God's bringing to mind to you right now? It could even be someone who's supposed to be your friend. Could be a spouse, could be a family member, could be a coworker. Who is the person that right now you are losing a long-term battle with because you're insisting on gaining the short-term win? And what is it that God might be calling you to do to show honor to that person, to love that person? in a way that may cost you something in the short term, but wins you the long-term battle. I'd encourage you to take a few moments. Pray for that person. Pray for yourself. That God, by his spirit, would give you the strength that you need to go and do it. That God would remind us of of the love that we have received through Christ, that we might be able to go and show it to someone else. God, we're reminded today that we're not worthy of your love. And I pray that you would forgive me for the times that I think that I am. And I forget that the only reason I have your love and your grace and your mercy is because you were willing to lay down everything for me. And Lord, you were willing to lay down everything for all of us who follow you. And God, I pray for us in this room, for those of us, we all have people in our lives who it is so difficult for us to show love to, so difficult for us when they are hungry to feed them, so difficult for us when they are thirsty to give them something to drink, so difficult for us to overcome evil with good, so difficult for us to rejoice with them when they rejoice and weep with them when they weep, so difficult for us to bless them because they have persecuted us so severely. God, would you help us by your spirit to keep eternity in sight, to remember the long-term wins, Do what it is that you're calling us to do. We pray it in Jesus' name.